for her. Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, Genesis 49, for our Bible study this evening, Genesis 49. Look around, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, I want you to share your Bible with them. And we're going to look at a family tonight, or this family portraits, and we're going to look at two brothers this evening. Two brothers. Genesis 49, go down to verse 5. Genesis 49, verse 5. Listen carefully as I read the scriptures tonight. I hope you'll take some notes this evening. There's a, there's a lot of truth here that'll help us tonight. And a lot of times, a lot of what we read in the Word of God, is a lot of it's preventative. It's just to kind of help us along the way. And I hope that you'll see a lot of tonight as being very preventative, but maybe it's also corrective. And, you know, if God corrects us, we ought to thank the Lord for that. Amen? And it's just kind of like when you go to doctor's visit and the doctor finds out something that's not right about your blood test. You know, he tells you some things. He's to be truthful with you, but you want to make corrections there. So the Word of God is both preventative, but it's also corrective. And let's, let, let's give God the glory for whatever he does in our hearts tonight. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Oh, my soul. You ever say that before? Amen. Oh, my soul. Come not thou into their secret. Unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob is on his deathbed. And to get a glimpse of this, you have to read uh, Hebrews 11, where it speaks about the faith of Jacob. And the Bible says about faith, Jacob was leaning upon his staff as he was dying. He was dying here. And he had to say some things to his sons because the entire family, the clan, had relocated down to Egypt. And they didn't know that at that time, but the, the Jews would be prospering, growing for the next 400 years down there in Egypt. They really didn't have a clue about that. And these were two brothers. He starts off by addressing them, Simeon and Levi, our brethren. He wasn't talking about them with respect to being part of the, of the 12 brothers. He's isolating these two men and talking about the fact that they, they went out of their boundary. They were brethren. But in brethren, in the sense, they conspired to do something that was very dishonoring to God. And as we see that tonight, I think, I think we'll see some things about us, or could be us, if we're not very careful. And so tonight, I want to preach you a message this evening. We have a Bible study tonight entitled, Double Trouble. Ever hear that before? Double Trouble. And we're going to see tonight how both these boys were double trouble. They were men, adult growth men, grown adult men when this happened. So tonight, let's pray that the Lord would just encourage our hearts and speak to us, instruct us from the Word of God. Tonight, Lord, we thank you for all that our ears have heard. The choir was such a blessing. And then now, the special number we've had. And Lord, the congregational singing today. And Lord, it's been a wonderful day in the house of God. No wonder the psalmist could say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And tonight we thank you that your, your place is so wonderful, church is so wonderful, that the sparrow even wants to build its nest in the corner of the house of God. Help us to never take for granted God's house. Help us never take for granted the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. But Lord, exhorting one another and so much to more as we see the day approaching. And Father, help us to treat each Sunday as if it was our last one. And God, help us to treat as we go into each Sunday that as an opportunity of ministry and service of touching people's lives. Father, tonight, I pray that you crucify our old flesh. I pray that you bring every thought captive to the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray tonight that you'd use the service to speak to us. On one end, I pray for it to be preventative. On the other end, I pray for it to be corrective. In between there, I pray that, God, we not have a spirit or attitude of thinking that somebody else is, that, Lord, we just say, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And tonight, Lord, we pray even through this passage, there might be someone here this evening who's not saved. They're not 100% sure where they're going to spend eternity. Even use the passage tonight in the scriptures to help a person see lovingly that you love them and that God's grace reaches out to them to save their soul. Father, would you help our church family? Many are sick and ill. 
Many are suffering through different degrees of sicknesses and things. We pray you touch their precious bodies with wellness and healing and give them recovery so they can be back in the house of God. Some are just recovering from sicknesses in the room tonight. And I pray that you touch their bodies with wellness and healing. And of course, tonight we pray that spiritually, that Lord, you would be the great physician who touches our soul and work in our hearts in a wonderful way. Father, we give you the glory for what personal decisions we make tonight. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles went to the city of Boston to play the Red Sox. Professional baseball at that time wasn't anything near to what we see today. And back in those days, it was a very, very, of course today still is, but it was very, very competitive back in the day. And during that game, there was a lot of, just a lot of emotion, a lot of just male ego going out. And a player for the Orioles by the name of John McGraw was a very fiery individual. Got into an argument and a fracas with the third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. And what started out as an argument, a very heated argument over whatever it was, turned into a fist fight. This fist fight immediately erupted with all the other players from both, both sides joining in the, into this melee. And a brawl ensued. Players are fighting against players. The, the sta inside the stadium there, those who were pro-Oriole fans from Baltimore got into a fight with pro-Boston Red Sox fans there in Boston. And this thing just got out of control. The players are fighting, the coaches are fighting, the fans are fighting. And somewhere along the way, someone got upset and set fire to the Boston Stadium. The entire stadium, the ballpark, burned to the ground. But only that, it happened so quickly. And, of course, the fire response at the time was not very good. 107 other buildings burned along the way. On a Saturday night, I forgot where I was at. I caught a glimpse of this. It was on October 20th of this year. And I was somewhere and I caught it, and I rarely catch it, but somewhere, I don't remember where I was at, but I caught a glimpse of this. The, uh, the L.A. Lakers were playing the Houston Rockets, and some of you may have saw the game. And uh, in a fight ensued where some of you guys are basketball players, know the names, but Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram, and Rajon Rondo all got into a fight. And of course, it was just, if you saw the clips, or you can go back and watch it on YouTube, it was a mess. And the benches cleared and punches were thrown. And as you can see from the, the picture, there was, it was a really ugly situation. And a couple of the players, I mean, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of uh, just vent up feelings that came out that, against one another. And a lot of things were happening. Punches were thrown. A lot of retaliation occurred. One week after that brawl on October 27th on a Saturday at a Jewish synagogue called the Tree of Life Synagogue, a man named Richard Bowers entered into that synagogue with some firearms. And he went in there, and unbeknownst to these people who were doing their worship of God, 11 people were killed, 6 were wounded. The federal prosecutors have, up to this point, have charged with 29 counts of federal crimes and firearm offenses. Unquestionably, this was labeled as a hate crime. Would you think with me for just a minute of these three incidences? Wrath, malice, hatred, the intention to hurt and to kill. We read something like that, and maybe our first response to like the ball players is, what a joke. What's wrong with these guys? Why don't they grow up? And yet on the other extreme, we think about a man like Richard Bowers, who had been over a period of time, had vented up with anti-Semitism. On his Facebook page, he listed a lot of things that were very disturbing, filled with anti-Semitism. Frankly, you can call it what you want. It was just pure hatred. And it got to the point where the hatred had a crossover point. He went from being a hateful individual, he was satanically controlled. And I'll tell you, anybody who do something like that is satanically controlled. And the end result is 11 people lost their lives. Six are wounded with scars who remain with them for lives. May I say to you tonight, where wrath and hatred and malice are involved, it always leaves carnage behind it. Notice our passage of Scripture this evening. We're looking at two brothers. They were number two and number three in the order of the 12 sons of Jacob. We find the first mention, if you'll look at your Bibles tonight, Genesis 29, verses 33 to 34. Turn to that, please, if you would. And it gives us the account of the birth of these two sons, Simeon and Levi. And as we look, read about their births, both these sons were given significant names. 
In fact, so significant, the names were not given to them by Jacob. The names were given to them by their mother, Leah. That's kind of interesting. Because Leah was a woman in great turmoil emotionally. Incredible insecurities because she was the second wife. And you'll read this in verse 29, chapter 29, verse 33. And she conceived again. Well, who was the first son? Was what? Reuben. We looked at him last time. The Bible described Reuben as unstable as water. He's a picture of the unstable believer. Notice Simeon. It said, and she conceived again, and she bare a son. And she said, she said, because the Lord has heard I was hated, he has therefore given me the son. And she called his name Simeon. As I read that, as soon as his baby boy was born, she looked at him and she thought, you know what? I'm confined solace for just a moment because the Lord has heard me because I was hated. We go to verse 34 and she conceived again. And she bare a son and she said, now the time... Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And of course we know later on in the mercies of God that the tribe of Levi became very important as far as the worship process of the nation of Israel. Simeon was given a good name. His name basically meant the, my prayer is heard or the Lord has heard me. We get the name Simon from that. Uh, Levi's name was a good name. His name meant he shall be joined unto me. He will be united together. She's speaking about her husband Jacob that we'll be united together. We'll be one spirit again. The Bible says about Simeon and Levi that they are brethren. May I remind you tonight, good or bad? The question is asked by Amos in Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed, good or bad? Simeon and Levi are brethren if you look at verses 5 to 7 of our passage tonight, it's very disturbing when you read some of these words. Cruelty. In their anger, they slew a man. Self-will. Cursed be their anger. It was fierce. And their wrath was cruel. I want you to understand that was quoted by a father leaning upon his staff. It was a pilgrim staff. It represented his faith. It stood for the branch of Jesus Christ, if you would. Upon Christ, he placed his faith. And it was there on that staff. He, he leaned upon that staff ever, ever since that, that time in Genesis 32, after he wrestled with the angel Peniel, that he had the limp on his side, and he leaned upon that staff. It gave indication of his worship and his authority and, and his leadership. But there, as he was dying on his bed, he sat up, the Bible says, and he leaned on that staff, and he looked at Simeon Levi in the presence of the ten other brothers, and he spoke about these two men. He said that they are, they're brethren. He listed a number of things about them. Tonight I want you to notice these two brothers who went way over the edge and shows us tonight what can happen. We're not under the Spirit's control, under the authority of the Word of God. If we're not in submission to God's Spirit day in, day out. We too can be over the edge. We too can wind up having these same propensities which we'll find are mentioned over and over again in scriptures. I want you to notice several things in our study time. Number one, would you notice the blunt description? In our description, notice in verses 5 through 7, Jacob spares no words to describe the underlying reason why both sons went over the edge. Notice, first of all, he speaks about the fact that they were mean. You know, when you see the word wrath, it speaks with somebody who's got a mean spirit, mean in their disposition. I mean, there's nothing nice that can be said about it. Look at the things he says. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. The word instrument can be translated the word vessels. In fact, it's used many, many times throughout the Old Testament as the word vessels. And we think about vessels as a, as a container. We think about how it applies to you and me that we are to be vessels unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. God wants our vessels to be clean. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 that says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's talking about clay pottery. We are earthen vessels that the excellency, the power may be of God and none of us. We must always remember that we are to treat these vessels with honor. We are to remind ourselves that we, that uh, the, in, in a great house, or the Bible says there are vessels of gold and of silver and of wood and of earth and some of honor and some to dishonor. And the Bible goes on by saying, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor 
honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared in every good work. Let us never forget that he is the potter and we're the clay. And as he molds and shapes us, it's not for the pottery, as Jeremiah speaks about, that tells the maker what to do. We're to be in submission to the hands of the maker. We find these boys, as he's describing, he describes as vessels or instruments, if you would, of, of cruelty. The word, the word for cruelty is an interesting word. You want to write this down. Cruelty is also translated violence, wrong, oppressive. Notice as he describes these sons because of something they did, which we'll see in a moment here. He describes these boys as, as anger out of control. They were filled with wrath and rage and fury both men were mean in their spirit would you consider the scriptures tonight as we think about mean-spirited individuals in Proverbs, psalms 25 19 david said this at a time it was most difficult and i believe this was at the time when saul was pursuing after him he said consider mine enemies listen to this for they are many and they hate me notice the description the adjective he used to describe their hatred they hate me with cruel hatred the idea of cruelty means they want to inflict hurt upon me. Proverbs 12 verse 10 says, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. In other words, you want to, you want to test how a person, whether or not they're, they're cruel and mean or if they're nice, look at how they treat an animal. Look at how they treat an animal. He says, he says, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. But he says, notice this comparison, but the tent or this contrast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He says, the most, the most tenderest mercy you can find of someone who's cruel of wicked is that they're very cruel. They're mean and they're, they're difficult to deal with there. Notice Proverbs 27. He says, wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirreth of strife. But notice this, a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Now we need to park there for just a minute because Solomon and David alike are describing to us the characteristics of a mean spirit. It's all rooted in this idea of wrath and anger and fury that's out of control. Both boys were, were cruel and, and, and mean. But notice the second thing. They not only were mean, but they were malicious. Be malicious has the idea where anger has gone past its boundaries. It's morphed into wrath and with the evil intent that it's not going to be fulfilled until it does harm. Now, it could be harmed physically, but somewhere along the way, it's being very vindictive and very revengeful. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to get you for doing unto me. I'm going to do to you because you've done to me. Look at what he describes them as. Would you go back to verse 5? He says, instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. You can retranslate it this way. Weapons of outrage are in their source. Swords. The word habitation literally has the idea of swords. They made their dwelling point using their swords for a wrong purpose. Hey, we saw that story, we saw an example with Peter there in the Garden of Gethsemane, did we not? They came after, they came for Jesus, and uh, Peter, he, he went after the servant Malchus, and he, he took out his sword, and he aimed, and he took a swing at him in the dark, and, and fortunately for Malchus, he, he missed his head, but he took the man's ear off, and Jesus had to tell him, put away thy sword. Notice how Jacob, Jacob describes the anger of these men. He describes their, 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 their vessels. He says, weapons of outrage are in their swords. And then he goes on by saying, he's saying this later on. Notice he says here in verse 6, he says, and in their self-will, they dig down a wall. He's talking about the fact that they, that they destroyed a city. They, they took the head of something out. The word wall has the idea of the head of cattle. It says they took, and what they did was, is we'll see this, they, they took out the leaders of that particular town. I mean, they went in and they did some terrible, terrible damage there. They were malicious. They had ill intent. They were, they were so angry because of something that happened. They said, we're not going to rest until we get our vengeance on this matter. Now, the Bible has some things to tell you and me about malice because malice is not to be part of the Christian life. We're not to seek revenge. We're not to seek vengeance. We're not to get ourselves to the point where we're going to exercise wrath and suddenly through some means physically or through social media or through other means that we take out our vengeance and be vindictive against other people, not to our spouses, not to our children, not to our parents, not to our brother or sister in Christ. And you notice the verses that speak to us about malice. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.8 as, as Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And you know, if you know your, your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of the most difficult chapters of all the Bible. Because he's going right down to where the rubber meets the road about sin in the camp and sin in the church. 
And notice how Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 5.8. He says, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, they understood what he's talking about. For you and I, if we don't go back that time, we, we, we would not understand that. Back in the day when they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, those of you who know your Bible, you know this, that the people had, before that feast came up, they had to go through their house and clean out their house. It had to be a thorough cleaning. Now, you think you do spring cleaning? You think your house was clean? The Jews had a clean house. Amen? Because when they went in to throw out, they had to go look for leaven. They, had, they couldn't even have a minuscule amount of leaven. The Bible says that they had to clean out all the old leaven. All the old leaven had to get out of the house before the Feast of Unleavened Bread came in because God had, a, had something in mind for them to understand that leaven is associated with sin. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Do you understand what he's saying there? He said malice starts off as leaven. It's just a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Did he not say that? A little leaven makes the whole lump rise. You just add a little bit of leaven, and it, may, and it produces a rising of that flour. It produces flour that rises. You no longer have unleavened bread. You have leavened bread. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little malice is dangerous in your life. A little malice is dangerous in a church. A little malice is dangerous to an organization. He says here, the leaven, he says, be, be, he says neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity and truth. Later on, Paul wrote the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. He says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. You understand what's going on here? At the church of Corinth, something we don't give highlight on. At the church of Corinth, of the many listed sins, which were causing seditions and divisions and strife and quarrelings and, and warmonging and all that kind of stuff. You know what's going on there? There were mean-spirited people in the church at, at Corinth. They hadn't had their devotions for a long time. That's why Paul, right there in 1 Corinthians 13, writes about the exercise of charity or godly love in our practices. And if you know your Bible, you know that the height of Christian maturity is when you're able to love like God loves. You're able to forgive like God forgives. That's the epitome of what Peter talked about, 2 Peter chapter 1. And having attained all this thing, we reach a charity. And listen, a lot of us have a long way to go before we get there. Amen? Church of Corinth was a mean church. I say this a lot. I, I'm very hesitant. I might preach on 1 Corinthians as part of our Wednesday night series because we need that for our church health. If nothing else, we need it just to remind us. And I tell you, when you start working, Paul, Paul helped start that church. And man, it, was, it got off to a great start. And, and God, you know, Paul thought he was going to have to leave Corinth right after the church started because that had been kind of what had happened with him in, on his second mission tour. He wasn't at Philippi very long. And he wasn't at Thessalonica very long. And he wasn't at Athens very long. And so he just resigned himself. I guess God's will is I'm not supposed to stay very long here because everywhere I go, somebody comes out of the woodworks and they hate me and they want to get me out of here. But God said, hey, I've got much people in the city. Don't be afraid. I want you to stay here. Paul, I'm going to give you fatherly encouragement. You're going to stay here. And Paul did stay there. But you'll notice here, as, as, as he's writing this, he's writing to 1 Corinthians with a broken heart for these Corinthian believers because he's looking at leaders in the church. I'm talking about today, if it was our church, he's talking about Sunday school teachers. He's talking about assistant pastors and maybe even the senior pastor. And he's talking about, he's talking about, he's talking about deacons and he's talking about the women and he's talking about people that were puffed up because of their spiritual gifts. He said, you know your bottom line problem? You've got the spirit of malice in your heart. Now I'm going to say tonight, that's not, that doesn't belong in God's house. Amen? Amen? Man, we can do some things to one another thinking we're joking. We can wind up hurting people. Ephesians 4.31, Paul, as he's writing about the spirit-filled life, he's leading into this. He says let, in verse 44, chapter 4, verse 31, let all bitterness, and you need to read this slowly when you read this, because wherever you see the word and, parting between two words, it, God put that there specifically to make us stop and pause. And why don't you notice this with me, verse 31. Let all bitterness comma, and he's not done, and wrath, comma, and he's not done, and anger, comma, and clamor, comma, and evil speaking. Did you notice they all go together? They're not separate sins. They're all tied in together. It starts with that root of bitterness, which leads to malice and wrath and anger and evil speaking. That's what, was, that's what had happened in the church at Ephesus. He said, be, let it be put away with you with all malice. He had to address that issue with them. And then notice Colossians 3.8. The same issue was going down at the church of Colossae. And that's interesting because the church of Colossae, he did not help start that church. 
but he'd heard about that church, and he got, in, he got, uh, he got acquainted with Pastor Epaphras, and with Pastor Epaphras, he just, he bore his heart to him. Like other pastors bear their hearts to one another, and he, so he's writing here in, for, in Colossians 3, he gets him past all the stuff they're getting caught up with, and then in chapter 3, he gets down to practical Christianity, and he tells him in Colossians 3, 8, now, but now he also put off all these. He had to tell them the same thing he told the church of Corinth. You know why? Why did he tell that? He didn't go down to, he didn't go down to, 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 to Colossae, but he'd been down to Ephesus, but it's kind of interesting. There were, there were similarities in both letters, right? Similarities in what he's Why does he say that? Because the similar traits that you find in Corinth and you find in Ephesus and you find in Colossae, you also find it here at the Baptist church. That's what he's saying. You find it at every church. Some are nestled along the way as we grow and add more people. There's some are along the way. Some gets crossed wrong or perceived to get crossed wrong. And there's a malicious attitude that develops. And so he says in Colossians 3.8, But now ye also put off all these. Anger, comma, wrath, comma, malice, comma, blasphemy, comma, filthy communication. Do you see how the, the cycle is going? It's not, it's, 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 a, it's a downward cycle. Being mean-spirited is... It means a serious, uncontrolled anger problem. There's spitefulness, especially of those in authority. That was happening in Colossae. That was happening in Corinth. There's vindictiveness. There's wrath that's uncontrolled. They're cutting words and the cutting spirit. Uh, someone who's got wrath, you think, think about it, if you ever experienced it, they're very volatile, very explosive. You don't know if they're going to come off real strong to you in some way there. Uh, they're very self-willed, as he described it. And I think he's telling us here, you know what? I've, I've spoken to you before, Simeon, Levi, and you know what? You're out of control. You're, you're not someone that is under the control of the Spirit of God. He's saying you boys are self-willed. They're, he calls them cruel and fierce. Uh, these kind of people lack sympathy and concern. They've used their words in a hurtful way. Paul experienced that. They use their words in a hurtful way. They always believe that they're wrong. They always feel like they have a victim mentality, and they're being wronged by other people, and believe anything even accidental to them that was done on purpose... Some about mean-spirited attitudes. A lady came to the evangelist Billy Sunday one day. And she was known to have an anger problem, being very explosive, very, very volatile, and taking out a resentment on other people. And one day she tried to justify herself. She went to the evangelist Billy Sunday, and while, after she had an outburst, she said, well, I just want to tell you, Mr. Sunday, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and it's all over. And he said, well, that's the same thing like a shotgun. He said, it blows up and it's all over, but look at the carnage it leaves behind. And I think it's a good reminder to us. You may blow up and think it's all over, but what about the carnage that's left behind? We see the blunt description. Number two, which you notice the, they were brutally destructive. Would you notice verse 6? And I want you to think, if you were Jacob as a father, it's very hard if you have adult children to really tell them what they need to hear. Because you want them to come to that self-discovery. You want them to have enough conscience that they, are, 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 they can come forward and say, hey, Dad, Mom, I, I, I think I messed up. And he had to be very strong with them. You notice how he's, his expression of his words. He says, oh, my soul. He's leaning on his staff. This is a pilgrim of faith. And he said, leaning on his staff, he says, Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, in their self where they dig down a wall. What's he talking about there? Well, let me give you a synopsis of Genesis 34, because all of Genesis 34 talks about what these men did. Jacob had a great experience at Peniel. He met with the angel. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That bolstered his faith and strength so he could meet with Esau because in his mind he assumed Esau still had the same wrath and anger towards him. Esau did not. Esau actually wanted him to go home. God's will for Jacob was he was supposed to go home. Remember what Jacob did? Jacob did. He kept on going further. He went further away because he just had this distrust towards Esau. And that was some of Jacob's old nature because you'll see the interplay that the Spirit of God helps us see. When we see the old nature, it's talking about Jacob. When we see the new nature, it's talking about Israel, the prince with God. And he just didn't trust. He couldn't trust God's will, that God's will was good for him to go back with Esau. And so we read about Jacob. He keeps on going. And he parks himself down in Shechem. Now, Shechem is what we know in the Old New Testament today as Sychar. And he parked himself down there, and the Bible tells us something interesting. He really liked the land there at Shechem, kind of a, kind of a softer attitude than Lot had towards, that, towards that, that situation. 
And he liked what he saw there. And he went to a man who was the kind of the, 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 the overseer, if you would, the head of the city of Shechem. His name was Hamor. Remember that? And Hamor named the city after his son Shechem. Now, Jacob had only one daughter. Her name was Dinah. Man, a man has only one daughter. Man, that's the jewel of his eye. Especially if you've got, you've got 12 boys, you have one daughter. You're just saying, praise God, I got a daughter. Amen, you know? And he's just thankful he had this little girl there and it was apple's eye. But something disturbing happens. Dinah decided she wanted to fill her roots out, fill her oats out. So Dinah, the Bible says, went out to see the daughters of the land. She was tired of the standards and she was tired of the rules and she was tired of the pilgrimage and the dra- traveling. So she wanted to see what the daughters of the land, what that's saying there, she wanted to be just like the women of the land. Well, she got a little bit too close to associational circles there, and unbeknownst to her, Shechem, Shechem, she caught Shechem's eye, and Shechem just said, well, that's a beautiful girl there. She's not one of us. She's not a Canaanite, and she's one of these Hebrews, but boy, she's a beautiful woman, and he seduced her. She, he made her feel like she was very accepted, and he made her feel like she was, uh, she was a beautiful woman. He seduced her, and then he violated her. Well, that didn't go very well because that got back to Jacob, Jacob and his sons. And the two of the sons, they blew, they blew a fuse. That was Simeon and Levi. The brothers as a whole, the Bible describes, they were very upset with Shechem did. They were waiting for their dad to do something. But, she, but Jacob was in a pickle of a situation. He, he just was hurt himself, wasn't sure what to do. And so J, Jacob was kind of paralyzed. And so the sons wanted their, son, their dad to do something about the situation. And he didn't act fast enough. So the brothers conspired together. And they got a meeting with, with Hamor and Shechem. And they said... And they said, hey, hey, you know, uh, the, you know, we were kind of living down here. And Hamor and Shechem made an invitation. They said, hey, we'll tell you guys we want to make a deal with you. You're like us. We're like you. we like you to be part of our clan. And we'd like to be part of our land. And we'll share our land with you. And you can let your cattle graze here and grow here. Of course, the men of Shechem had a bad, different idea. They wanted to assimilate them for the purpose of possessing them. But Shechem and but Levi and Simeon had a, bad, had a different idea, and the brothers had a different idea. They said, well, listen, we can't do that because we're Hebrews, and we're differentiated physically to represent our faith in God. And you know, the Hebrews, they, they practice circumcision among the men. And so they said, so, listen, you've got to be like us. You've got to have a surgical procedure, be just like us if you want to do like that. And the men of Shechem thought, well, that's not a bad idea. If we do that, we can possess their cattle. We can take everything. And they lost their good judgment. That, so they, they submitted to what the, the, men, the, the, the sons of Jacob told them to do. And, of course, these men had to recover from this surgical process. The Bible tells us on the third day, Simeon and Levi knew exactly what they were doing. Because they, they, you have to bear in mind, they keep, they're, keep, they're keeping it contained within, but they are angry. I mean, they are really angry. They are filled with wrath. The Bible says they took their swords. Remember that? They took their swords and they slew every male in the town of Shechem. You say, well, they fulfilled righteousness. They fulfilled righteousness in their way, not God's way. Don't, don't put God, don't blame God for what they did. Amen. I did this in the name of God. No, you did not. You did this in your own name. They took all the women captive. They took the land. They took all the cattle. But most important to them, they didn't care about that so much. What they really went down there for, they wanted blood for blood, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. They were brutally destructive. We look at that passage, you say, well, wow, that's, that's pretty bad. You know what? When malice controls us, and we're exerting malice, and that means spirit will stop at nothing to get done what we want to get done. We may hear something. We didn't like what the preacher said. We didn't like what the Sunday school teacher said. We're, invariably, you stick around church long enough, you're going you're to hear something about how we, how we practice things. And you say, well, I don't have to follow that practice. I want to do it. And you get upset. And then if you get, you get, you get approached and say, hey, well, that's not how we do things. And you get upset about it. You know what happens? You might accept it. But your facial expression and your body language says you're not with it. And malice is written all over your face. And wrath is, you're just thinking, I'm going to get you for this. I'm going to get you for taking take advantage of me. That you, or at least you thought you got to take advantage. Look what it says here about these men. In their self-will, they dig down a wall. To dig down a wall it sometimes means this, that they, 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 uh, they were pleased to root up or to cut up or to cut off. Hey, what? write this down. Next time you study your Bible, especially you go through Joshua. The word, there's one word that's used in the Bible that defines in their self-will, they dig down a wall. It's the word ho, H-O-U-G-H. How many know what the word ho means? 
Ho is an ancient practice that when you went in and you fought an enemy, what you would do, that enemy had a, a large number of horses. You know what they did? A lot of times they would not take the horses with them. What they did was they would go behind the horse and they cut the hamstring on the backside. They cut the hamstring to disable the horse. The horse was rendered useless and the horse would wind up dying because it couldn't run away or move. It was rendered disabled and useless. They used the word hoe. Hey, Josh was told when he went to fight the Canaanites, he had to hold their horses. You need to hold their horses. That was a cruel way of leaving behind, letting them know that, they, they, that, that, that you were in control and they weren't going to get their horses back. Notice what he says here. In their self-will, they dig down a wall. They cut off other people. They injured them very severely. Listen how destructive the, uh, a, a, a mean and malicious spirit can be when, it, when anger is out of control. It destroys friendships. It destroys relationships. It destroys reputations. It goes after goodwill. It tears down other people's good efforts. It sees nothing good in that. It tears down the hedges in other people's lives. They don't care how they, what they do and who they hurt along the way. And the end result it breaks up marriages, breaks up families, leads to church splits, hurts the body of Christ, hurts the reputation of others, it's destructive behind the backs of others, there's murmuring, complaining, and spreading of evil gossip. Any around, anyone around them, they do, they're so destructive in their way that they are persuasive in making disciples after themselves. Now listen to what the Bible says about them. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool's wrath is presently known. That's talking about malice. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirreth of strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. What an apt description of what these two sons, Levi, Levi, uh, Levi and Simeon were. The Bible says a furious man aboundeth in transgression. I mean, you think about all the things that transpired there. They blew their cool, and they, they killed other people. Hey, what they did, if you parallel that to Genesis chapter 4, exactly parallels how Cain felt towards his brother Abel. Wow. You know, people through the Bible experience that. And if you're on the receiving end of that, you're the victim of that. It is, it is tough. King Saul and his hatred of David. Shimei who threw stones and cursed at David when he was at low point in his life. We see Joab and how he undermined King David. Even when King David was at the age of 70 and he was declining in health and about ready to give up the ghost and die, Joab took advantage of that situation. I'm just saying today, we see they were brutally destructive. We see the blunt description. They were brutally disrupted. Notice verse 6. Would you notice the Bible gives us a command? The Bible gives us, tells us about a biblical departure. Would you notice verse 6? He describes something that's very hot, tough. And I want you to imagine here Jacob is leaning on his staff. He's on his bed leaning on his staff. All the brothers are present, including Governor Joseph. All the brothers are present. And you can imagine they're just kind of getting over the you know, just how direct he was about Reuben. And now he's getting a description of Levi Simeon because they're, they're all feeling uncomfortable because they all had hatred towards the, the men of Shechem. But man, they're feeling it right now because Levi and Simeon went way past where they should have done. They went past where, the, where they should have known better. And he says this, would you notice verse 6? Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. You know what he's saying there? He's saying exactly what Proverbs 22, 24 teaches. Would you turn there, please? In Proverbs 22, 24, this is the admonition that, that, uh, that, that Solomon gives us concerning uh, the same situation. He says, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. He's basically saying, hey, you see these boys? He says, I'm listening to all of you. He says, my soul, he says, I can't fellowship with you. He says, I, even as your father, I cannot come into your assembly. He says, I'm not going to commingle my honor with you. I'm not going to ruin my good name by being a part of what you're doing. I'm not going to be part of this conspiracy. He says, in my, he says oh, my soul, come. Come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united. He's talking about here, stay away. The truth is being said here. He's saying, listen, I, he says, I, it's, a, it's difficult to change them, but I know one thing. If I stay around them, they're going to change me. A mean-spirited person has more power to change you than you have to change them. Hey, just think with me today. If you think about, about all the stuff that goes on in the media and stuff, they, it emphasizes and exalts mean people and angry people, an angry spirit, and a fighting spirit by that. And you know, when you look at that, that does more to morph us. I've seen, and you've seen over time where somebody very nice and very sweet they get around someone who's got that angry disposition and it morphs them over time because they become like that and you wonder how, do, how come they are so sharp and how come they're cutting this off and whatever there and maybe it might be they're tired but there's a consistency of that spirit it's because they got around somebody that was just like that situation there 
And here's what, here's what Jacob is saying. Don't ruin your reputation and good spirit by associating with the mean spirit, a malicious person, or anger that's out of control, a person that you know in their words and their attitude, they're filled with wrath. We see the biblical departure. But you notice number four in verse seven, but you notice the bitter demise. Jacob, number one, is describing their spirit and their sin. Jacob, number two, is saying the remedy here for us here, we can't, we can't affiliate and associate with that. He said, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. And then he said something that really is tough. I mean, really, really tough. Look at verse 7. Cursed be their anger. Can you imagine dad, the patriarch? He just cursed his two sons. And just to give you an idea of that cursing, I want you to think of me as you read through Deuteronomy and all the cursings God gave to Israel. A curse is a very strong way of saying you are doomed. Destruction's your way. I mean, can you imagine? This is a father saying with a broken heart, you guys are not controllable. You guys are, you're, you're, you're intractable. You can't change. Proverbs 19, 19 says, a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. I want you to notice as we scroll through this. Number one, he said, cursed be their anger. He says, God's going to judge you. He says, I'm not going to do to you as you did to them. God's going to judge you. Cursed be your anger. Number two, he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You know what he's saying there? Guys, I have nothing to give you. You have no inheritance. He says, I can't be a blessing to you. There's nothing I can do. Now watch this. Let's translate that down. Let's bring it down to our level. What's he talking about there, okay? Well, uncontrolled anger, wrath, and malice do not have God's blessing. Can you hear an amen about that? Amen? Uncontrolled anger, anger, and wrath, and malice do not have God's blessing. Now listen to me tonight, okay? First of all, these sins are the works of the flesh. Now, we know from Galatians 5, there's a battle going on in our, in our lives all the time. It doesn't matter who we are. There's a battle going on. By the way, you say, well, do preachers get that? Yeah, because preachers can be mean-spirited too. And they use, they use the venue of social media and newspapers to write and vent out what they're against on somebody else there. And that, that kind of garbage should not be out there like that. And so in Galatians chapter 5, he says, he talks about these works of the flesh. Notice what he says there. He says, uh, he talked in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 20, Colossians 3, 8, about the works of flesh. Listen to them. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, watch this, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Would you notice starting with hatred? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, seven works of flesh are all tied together. Divisiveness, hurt, they're the works of the flesh. Then notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 31. Do you notice this tonight? These sins are the works of flesh, but notice in Ephesians 4, God's spirit, if you can imagine this, God's spirit is grieved. God goes into mourning. God is filled with brokenness over us. God's spirit is grieved, and, when, and relationships are strained when these are in control. Notice verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Hey, you know what he's telling us? We need to be so extra careful and so extra sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. We don't want to bring sorrow. And it should be when, when, when we, you know, we know we've crossed the line and we've sinned in a wrong way, and we've sinned, and it's never right, but we've sinned against God. Our heart should smote us. There's something that should smite our conscience. I was reminded the other day as I was writing a devotion about David that when David was encouraged by his mighty men and when he was in the cave, they said, hey, Saul's at the place where you can get him. Listen, and these men were used to exercising vengeance and wrath and they were used to being malicious. They said, David, you got him right where, you, where, where, where he should be. And uh, David kind of listened for a minute and he went up behind Saul in that cave. Saul didn't know he was there. And the Bible says he took his sword and he cut the garment of, of Saul, Saul's garment off. He cut a portion of that garment off. And he says as he did so, the Bible says David's spirit smote him. David was filled with conviction. He was smote in me in his spirit. Now I want to ask you tonight, is your conscience and your spirit and your heart tender up your smote when you sin? Now I want, to, I want to tell you tonight, if you have the wrong friendships, you're not smote with your, when you sin. I mean, you ought to be, we, we ought to be so, oh, so overcome that we cross the line, that we grieve the spirit of God, that we're smote, we smote, our conscience smote. Now watch this, the spirit of God, can you imagine how moved the spirit of God is with sorrow and mourning when we grieved him? And did you know we grieve him with the sins of the spirit? That's what he's talking about, Ephesians 4. And by the way, did you know the application of this is for our marriages and our home life? 
Get my message. I preach in April on that. Homeland security. And notice we said in verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. And then notice Paul, as he says this very patiently, very loving, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Now, when we read evil speaking, you know what he's saying there? He's not just talking about swearing and cursing. You know what he's talking about there? Listen to me tonight. Because we live in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area is very known for this. Is talking in a condescending manner where we tear people down. We're trying to get our point across with all truth but no love. Huh? You know what I'm talking about. All truth, no love. Then we wonder why they don't come to church. And we wonder why they have their image of God as God is a very, God must be vindictive like you. No, that's not the image of my Heavenly Father. He's firm, but He's loving. The Spirit of God is grieved. You know, there's a lot of things getting under our, get under our skin, guys. There's a lot of things getting under our skin. There's a lot of things that made us irritated and upset and things. But as Paul parks here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But would you notice this here? These sins are the works of flesh. God's spirit is grief. But I want you to go with me. I want, don't look at your notes. I want you to go to 1 Timothy 2.8. Would you go there, please? Go to 1 Timothy 2.8. Because I'm bringing this down. We're almost done. I want you to look at 1 Timothy 2.8. Now, 1 Timothy 2, it's a really pivotal chapter of the Bible. Because Paul is writing to Timothy, and the idea he's given to Timothy is about order in the church. And he's going to lead, he's going to go from there. And in 1 Timothy 2, he's talking about, he's talking about the functionality of the men in the church. And then later on, he talks about the women in the church. And in chapter 2, he's talking about the spiritual life of the church. And he starts off chapter 2 with verse 1. Lotus says, in verse 1, he says, he says, I will that first of all, that men pray everywhere. I will that first of all, that meant that all prayers and supplications with all thanksgiving be made for all men. Now he's talking about prayer. He's talking about Jesus Christ being our mediator. But you notice very carefully 1 Timothy 2.8. I'm going to read this slowly and carefully, and then I'm going to expostulate it. He says, I will therefore, because he shifts from there, and he goes from prayer, uh, the emphasis men ought to have in prayer in the church, and he addresses the women starting in verse 9. He talks about the women in modesty, okay? And he says in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. And that's a good thing, guys. You don't have to, your, your prayer time is not just where you, choose at, where you choose at home. Listen, you pray everywhere. You can pray on the bar train standing up. You, you can pray in the corner over here, okay? You can pray right here. You sit here in orchestra. You ain't choir. You can pray while you're up here. Hey, I'm praying while I'm standing at the pulpit, amen? I will pray, men, men pray everywhere. Be in a mood to pray. That's how you pray without sin. You'll be ready to pray everywhere. Listen, if you have that attitude to pray everywhere, you're always going to be in touch with God, man. I will the men pray every, but notice what he says here. How are we to pray? Lifting up holy hands. Notice the next two words. Without wrath. You want to know why there's unanswered prayer? You want to know why heaven's blocked? You want to know why praying is hit and miss? And we blame it on unbelief. Well, unbelief is there, but he put wrath without wrath before unbelief. Without wrath. And doubting. Hey. This is a better demise. You want to kill your prayer life? There you go, right there. That'll kill your prayer life. It'll kill your marriage. It'll destroy the church. It'll destroy good fellowship. Hey, when you're dead and someone's eulogized, you want them to think about, now, what am I going to say about this person? Because he was a mean-spirited person. Is that what you want people to think? And so we see the bitter demise. Go back to Genesis 49. We're done. We have a blunt description. We see they were brutally destructive. We see Jacob gives a biblical departure. We see the bitter demise. And then you stop at verse 7. He says, man, he cursed his sons. What happened to them? Well, he cursed his sons, but can I tell you something great? The mercies of God overruled the curse. Aren't you glad about that today? Amen. Because Simeon and Levi found a future in the tribe of Israel. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. And you look at Levi, who had a sword in his hand. He becomes a priest. They're carrying the tabernacle. That's the mercies of God, is it not? 
God is mercy. Hey, God gives you and me a second chance. So let me give you some help tonight about what we should do in this situation. Would you listen to these verses? You can read them off your notes tonight. Psalms 37, 8. Would you read? And tell you, in fact, tonight, let's, you, let's read the verses together. Would you do that with me? Psalms 37, 8. Let's read that together. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Who's he talking to there, David? Cease from wrath. Stop it. Forsake wrath. What's he worried about? But people prostrate away. Why are you worrying about what other people are doing? Get your eyes off them. Get your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Psalms 37, 8. Cease from wrath. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Read it with me. Brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it? Be children, but understanding. Be men. Sign of immaturity. You're always explosive and volatile. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, let's read again. Let all bitterness and wrath, come read with me, and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's exactly what God did for Levi and Simeon because he saw more in their future than Jacob could. But aren't you glad tonight God sees more in your future and my future than we might see in each other? Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. Look what James said to a very fractured, fragmented group of Christians in the first century in James chapter 1. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow down. Slow, don't blow. Amen? Mad is bad. And then he said in verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's a good verse. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It will not accomplish God's purposes, and God's going to catch up with us anyway. Then notice 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speech. What's he talking about there? Same problem. Same problem. The diaspora. Persecution's going on. You know what's going on? The believers are upset. They're angry. They got malice. I'm going to get after those Romans. They, they just unsettled me. I just lost my job. I lost my home. I'm unsettled. I'm just traveling around. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger, an alien walking around. I'm in an area. I'm in a, I, I got saved in this church. We had to break up our church. And you know what Peter had to tell them? He says, wherefore, lay aside all malice. Because there were some Christians that got pretty angry, had a malicious spirit. And he says, as newborn babes. And you know what? We need to adopt the spirit of a little child. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Let me close with this tonight. He said, Pastor, we're in Christmas season. I know we're in Christmas season. Did you know this ties to Christmas? He said, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Where did you find that at? Yeah, it does. Go to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we have the story about wise men from Persia. They saw a star in the east. They'd been studying the scriptures. They saw what the scriptures said in Numbers 24. I shall see a star. And these wise men had a king. King Herod heard about the star and about we have seen this king. And King Herod was a man filled with extreme jealousy and anger triggered in him. And he was filled with malice. And he tried to deceive these men. He said, listen, you find that child. You find this king and let me know because I want to see him too. He said, basically, I'm not going to do the work. I'm going to have them find him. And once I find that boy, I'm going to kill him. And listen, they found the, they found the child Jesus, such a wonderful picture. They brought their, their, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I like how the Bible exalts about uh, Jesus and his position. It says they saw the child, the young child and his mother. It didn't mention anything about, about, about Joseph there, amen. Joseph's kind of in the background as a servant. And it says saw the young child, his mother. The mother was not being exalted. It wasn't Mary being bowed to. They were bowed to the, the Jesus. What great faith these wise men had. And so they were supposed to go back to Herod. Remember that? They were supposed to go back to Herod and tell Herod what's going on. But Herod is filled with a lot of wrath. Because Herod had, one, Herod had one thing in mind. Once I find out where this boy is, I'm going to send my troops down there and I'm going to kill this child. You know what the Bible says? Look at verse 12 in Matthew chapter 2. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Notice this last phrase. They departed unto their own country. Notice this phrase, another way. Can I suggest to you tonight, make this strong recognition, there's another way. There's another way. They could have gone back and fallen for the plan of Herod and Herod could have convinced them and persuaded them and he could have morphed them into their thinking. But these wise men, the angel of God came to them, the messenger of heaven came at the right time and he says, you need a car, go to your country another way. Can I suggest you tonight, if you're going down that path and destruction's about to come up and something's triggering your life and you can't get past the scars of the past and get past being hurt by somebody else. And let me tell you tonight, if you grew up in a home, in a life where a father and mother abused you, you were abused by somebody else, or you've got abusive marriage, that doesn't mean that you have to be or abusive parent. That doesn't mean you have to fall that same way. I want to tell you tonight, go to your country another way, like he said. 
Go another way. That's not the way. What's the other way? What country? We're talking the heavenly way. There's another way, and that's the spirit-filled way that God gives us tonight. It's another way. That's Christmas. Jacob didn't have enough foresight as he's talking to his sons because he's talking from a broken heart to his son. He said, curse to be their anger. But I want to tell you tonight, there's another way. And that's a spirit-filled way. May I help us tonight? Christmas is the time to reflect on the birth of Christ, his gentleness, his love. He was just as much God as a little baby as he was a man. May I help us tonight? Christmas is also time to evaluate our hearts. Because the Bible says about Joseph, he thought on these things. And we need to think on the things of God. Joseph became a much better believer because he was disturbed in his thought. He was close to divorcing Mary. Remember that? He was going to get rid of divorcement on her. And at the right time and moment, the, holy, the, the angel of God came to him and said, No, don't do that. I'm going to tell you what this is all about. He had to get him to the point where he's broken. Would you look at whatever happened to you? Is God using that to break us and to bring us to realizing it's not upon myself I'm relying on? I've got to get my eyes on the Lord and trust God for my need. As I said this, this earlier, what we study tonight may be more preventative than it is corrective. But you know what? If it happened to those two young men, it could happen to you and me. If it could happen to Cain, it could happen to you and me. We have to guard our heart, and guard our spirit, and guard our lives continually. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, tonight, as we look at this Bible study tonight, it is, it is a, a warning. But God, it's so sad, so sad that an entire city of men was wiped out. And Jacob's description is, he said, you do make me stink among the inhabitants of the land. Such a bad testimony. And Father, tonight, as the Holy Spirit has spoken through His Word, there is another way. I ask tonight that you help us to humbly go, the other, go another way. I pray for marriages tonight that are doing well. They decide we're going to the, our country another way. We're not going to go down that way. We're not going to be vindictive and attacking and malicious and mean. And I pray as Christians that we'll, we'll be as brethren, we'll, we'll dwell as brethren in unity, and we'll have love together, especially as we enter our 20th year, that we'll be a loving church and a patient church and a long-suffering church, not a vindictive church. And I pray this evening that as much as we can, we pray uh, spiritually that, Lord, you would deliver us from these things and help us, God, tonight to humble ourselves and not get puffed up and say, well, that's not me. And, Lord, realizing that we need, to be, we need to be careful for it because the Bible says, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And I pray tonight that you help us to be, even as the scriptures were, to be preventative. I think of those other ten brothers that they stood around and heard, of the, and heard their father dressing Simi Levi. There must have been fear and trepidation in their hearts about their, the, their, the, the, the fact that the, they could have the same propensity falling down that pathway. God, guard our mouths and guard our hearts and guard our spirits and guard our lives. And through this tonight, thank you that there can be cleansing from this. Thank you the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, can cleanse from all sins. And thank you, Lord, that there can be forgiveness from us. And thank you there can be a good start and would you help us tonight by baptizing us with kindness and forgiveness even as Christ for his own sake forgave us father would you please have your precious way this evening in this wonderful congregation of Christians who love you the membership here at Heritage Baptist Church that preventatively we come and say Lord we want a spirit of revival a revival of kindness and a revival of God of sweetness and a sweet spirit and that Lord we not grieve the spirit of God and should it be tonight our conscience was smote within us of something that the, the Holy Spirit brought to our minds help us tonight to obey the impulse of the spirit and go forward for God and realize tonight that we don't want our prayer lives hindered we don't want to be lifting up uh, we don't want to be filled with wrath and doubting we want to Lord know that we've lifted up holy hands before God please have your way to us tonight please help us to see it's the spirit filled life it's the spirit controlled life it's a life that's abounding in prayers being answered please have your way tonight in this wonderful congregation we pray for this tonight in Jesus name let's stand if you would as the piano is playing if you need to come tonight and to pray over your marriage in your home life or something going on that's going on, would you just be transparent and honest with God and meet with the Lord tonight? I mean, it doesn't come before, it doesn't mean that that's you that's being spoken of. Maybe it's preventative, that we need preventative, that God would guard our mouths and our spirit. Would you come tonight? Let's lead to just spend some time tonight. Let's pray for our church tonight. If nothing else, as a leader of the church, you should come and pray for the spirit of the church, that we have a healthy spirit, a good spirit, not a condemning spirit, but a good one. Would you do that tonight? And then this evening, though the message was for Christians, 
If you're not saved tonight, God wants you to be saved. He invites you tonight to come to know His Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. We can be a people out of control and over the edge. But thank God Jesus died for those of us who went over the edge. And He offers to us the gift of eternal life. And just as several this weekend have trusted Christ, we invite you this morning, this evening, to receive Jesus Christ, your Savior. Would you call upon tonight to save you from your sins? Let's do it tonight. There's another way. The Bible says the wise men went another way back to our country. There's another way. We don't have to follow the path we sin. A furious man abounded in transgressions. And then if you're being influenced in the wrong way by someone who's out of control, the Bible te teaches us make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Let's be careful of our associations, our friendships. Would you do that tonight? Father, tonight we thank you for the family portraits. And, uh, Lord, just very candid family discussions that Jacob had with his boys as he leaned upon the staff. And I pray this evening that you'll help us to be under so much under the Spirit's control, led of the Spirit, walking the Spirit. Forgive us tonight for grieving the Spirit of God. Maybe something, somebody came to our mind that we need to talk to. Something came to our mind we need to dress. Please have your way, Holy Spirit. I pray for a holy church and a healthy church. A church that's going forward for Christ. Father, bless this week as many have busy schedules. A lot of our students still are in school. I pray you bless their schedules, maybe tests that they have. Some, Lord, have uh, important meetings and things this week. I pray that the Spirit of God would guide them. Guard us this week. We pray for the whole armor of God to be put upon us. We pray this week that you protect us on the road. We pray, Father, we, we would... Um, we would be good stewards of our time and good stewards of the opportunities you placed before us tonight. Send forth this congregation with your blessing tonight. Give good health and strength. Touch the bodies of those who are sick and ill. We pray for these things of you, Lord, in Jesus' name.